If you'd remain standing for our scripture, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Good morning. It's good to be here with you all today as we're uh, going to be continuing our sermon series for the new year as we're looking at some of the examples in the New Testament and the Gospels where the imagery of Jesus is compared or referenced to being the light of the world. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at scriptures and we've seen where Jesus is the light of the world. And, and so just a quick recap, we looked at Matthew 17 a couple of weeks ago. And in Matthew 17, it's the transfiguration. And so in the passage of, of scripture that we looked at, Matthew shows us that Jesus is not just godly, but he shows us that Jesus is God. Because he uses the transfiguration to, to show us that uh, when the disciples, Peter, James, and John, looked upon Jesus, they didn't just see Jesus, but they saw the light of God reflecting from him or emitting from him or whatever language you want to use to give us the image and to give us the idea and to give us the understanding that Jesus was not just a man, but he was a God himself, or he was God himself. Uh, last week we looked at John chapter 3 and we started with what is probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture from the Gospel of John. We talked and, and looked a little bit at John 3.16. In John 3.16 we see how it's in the perfect action of God to enter into the world through the person of Jesus Christ. And then last week we went further because often when we read John 3 we read the interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night. He's had questions. He wants to know what Jesus is talking about when he talks about being born again. And usually that interaction ends with Jesus saying, you know, for God so loved the world he sent his only son. But John 3 actually goes farther than that. Because Jesus continues by telling Nicodemus that it's in our inclination as people, as sinful people, to seek out the dark. Meaning, and what Jesus meant, is that we try to find places where we can hide from God, we can hide from others, we can hide from ourselves. We can find things to do where we know that we've sinned, where we know that we feel convicted. And so what we try and do is we react and we try and be apart from God living on our own, doing whatever we can do, doing whatever we can to, to remove ourselves from worship and friendships that hold us accountable and other things that we know we're faced with. And so last week we recognized that that's who we are. We're sinners who are in need of God's forgiveness. We are in need of God's relationship. We are in need of God's grace. And we can celebrate, and last week we did, we can celebrate that, that God has sent His Son to be our light who gives us the opportunity to step out of darkness and to pursue a life and to walk with Him and to be in His presence. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a different scripture that kind of builds on this, but also I think gives us uh, another image of how Jesus is in the light or Jesus is the light. And in some ways it feels a little out of place. In terms of the calendar year, because we, this morning we read from the first chapter of Luke. And so the event that we've read about is known within church tradition as called the Visitation. And it commemorates the visit of the Virgin Mary of Mary to her cousin Elizabeth. Luke gives us some background to this morning's scripture, and he tells us that Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron. Aaron, if you may remember, is the brother of Moses. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. And so it's of significance, it's of importance for us to hear and to learn that about who Elizabeth was. Additionally, Luke also tells us that Elizabeth is married to a priest named Zechariah. 
Zechariah is part of the priests that work in the temple. So Luke's setting it up for us to see that Elizabeth and Zechariah are important. Her being a descendant of Aaron, him being a high priest in the temple, one of the priests in the temple. He wants us to see that they're important. He wants us to see that they have standing in the community. Not many could claim that they were both a descendant of Aaron and then also uh, not many could claim that they were a priest that worked in the temple in Jerusalem. Luke wants us to see the importance of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He wants us to see the importance of who they were before we hear and before we read about their interaction with Mary. Luke wants us to see that any child of theirs would be a child who would have been considered important and in the spotlight, not just because of who the child was, but because of who the child was a descendant of. On his own, if Elizabeth and Zechariah had a child, their child would be someone that people would look to. Because the child would be a descendant of Aaron, and the child's father was one who worked in the temple. This child would be raised as a priest by, you know, it's hereditary. The, high, the priesthood in the temple in Jerusalem, it's hereditary. And so, you know, it's all descendants. And so, as a descendant of Aaron, as a son, or, well, it'd be as a son of, of Zechariah, he would, he would have the spotlight on him because of his ancestors and because of who he was. Luke wants us to see that any child of this couple would be important. Luke also tells us that they have, they're older, they've been unable to have any children, and Luke writes that one day Zechariah was uh, chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the Lord's temple and burn incense. And so as the, the worshipers in the temple were uh, gathering and they were praying, Zechariah enters the temple to light the incense, and Luke writes, and here's a visual of it, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was told that by this time next year, your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a son, and this son was to be, quote, filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Zechariah said, how can this be? I am an old man, and my wife and I are along in years. The angel said, I'm Gabriel, a messenger of the Lord, and because of your doubting, you're going to be unable to speak until the child is born. And so Zechariah exits the temple after having lit the incense, after having spent longer in there than the people expected. They, they were wondering what had happened to him. He came out. He's unable to speak. They knew he'd had a vision from God. He went home to his wife, and eventually she became pregnant. In the meantime, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, telling her the words that you and I have read from Luke chapter 1 as well. Where she is going to be with child, the child is going to uh, be the son of God. And the angel tells Mary this. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is now in her sixth month. Nothing is impossible with God. All right, so Luke 1 tells us that this angel appeared to Mary who lives in Nazareth. At that time, Mary hurriedly got ready and then she made the journey to visit her cousin. Mary traveled to the hill country around Judea from Nazareth. And the fact that Luke lists this is important for us. Because Elizabeth and Zechariah, they lived in the hill country of Judea. That means in this portion of land you'll see right here, um, Ein Karim down south. That's, so Jerusalem, they live in, in one of the outskirts of the communities of Jerusalem. Because if Zechariah is a priest who has to work in the temple, Zechariah has to be able to get to the temple. 
He has to be able to do so without becoming ritually unclean as he gets there. So he can't be traveling far distances. So Mary, in essence, is making, what, an 80-mile journey? Or it says 100 miles on this screen. It depends which one you read and which, one, which uh, route they estimate, whichever scholar it is that drew the map estimates that, that Mary took. But she walked about, it was about a five-day journey or so, for her to go visit her cousin, Elizabeth. For those who have been to Israel, the, the location associated with John the Baptist's birth, also if you Google it, it's called Ein Karim. There's a church there where John the Baptist's birth is remembered, as well as a freshwater spring that's visited because John the Baptist's parents drank there, and then also they say that's where Mary herself drank from. There's a couple of pictures. There's the outside of it. I mean, it's not a huge one, but, you know, you've been there. And so what Luke does is he uses this visit for us to, to think about and for us to realize a couple of things about who Jesus was and who Mary was and who John the Baptist was and how they relate to each other. The first thing that we read is that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leaped. What Luke is doing is he's showing us and he's showing us how God is using John the Baptist to already point or to provide proof of who Jesus was and of who Jesus is. Is that not what John the Baptist's role is going to be later? In Matthew chapter 3, and, or in Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4, if you read the other Gospels where uh, it tells us of the baptism of Jesus and of how John the Baptist is, is pointing the way for the one that's to come. If you remember that one of the things that, that Gabriel told Mary she would see or one of the ways that Mary would be provided evidence of what was happening in her life in terms of becoming pregnant with, the, with Jesus, is Gabriel told her that evidence of this is you will go and you will see your cousin Elizabeth, who is old, who has been considered barren, and who is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. Now Mary trusted God. She said, I am the Lord's servant. You know, let it be to me as what you have said. She didn't need proof of what was happening. She believed that what God was doing was going to happen and was according to God's plan and everything else. But God gave her proof anyway. God gave her proof when she reached her cousin. God gave Elizabeth, and her, and her, her pregnancy became a, a very physical and a very visible proof, wasn't it, for Mary? That what God had told her was going to happen was going to happen. And so when Mary got to her cousin's house, she was not just able to see that Elizabeth was with child, as Gabriel had told her, but she was also able to hear and to witness the account of her cousin that the child leaped within her with joy. Friends, the infant John leaped with joy in the womb of Elizabeth when, when, uh, when Elizabeth was placed in the presence of the unborn Messiah. This is just a precursor for what John's role was going to be. It's a precursor of what God had sent John to do. And it's a precursor of us seeing how in this story God is taking the spotlight off of the one that people would have looked and assumed the spotlight should be on in order to put it on Jesus, who, the, who is the true light of the world. 
Because the second thing that God does in this story, in this visit between Mary and Elizabeth, is God takes this spotlight off of John and he places it on Jesus. Everything about John's pregnancy, everything about John's birth, everything about John's genetics should have had everyone looking to him. He was a descendant of a priest. He was a descendant of the highest, the original, the first priest, Aaron. His father was Kurt. I mean, everything about John's story was one that people should have looked to him and said, he is, he's going to be the one. And we know that, that people were mistaken that, that he was. But we also know that part of this story is that what God is doing is pointing the spotlight from John and putting it on, on Jesus. Because if you look at it, there's so many similarities. You know, both of the pregnancies are miraculous. Both of them have been announced by an angel. Both have been brought forth by God. Both have a part to play in God's plan for the redemption of His people by God offering His forgiveness and by God offering His grace to the world. Both John and Jesus are going to be great. Jesus is going to be greater. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb. He's the one that's sent. But it's important for us to see that John knew from the beginning that the focus was not to be on him and the focus was to be on Jesus. And so John oriented his life, he oriented his ministry, he oriented his teachings to where everything that he did wasn't pointed on what he was building, but what did he say? He said, look for the one that's to come. Or the one that's following me. Or the one that's going to come behind me. And so whenever John stopped to preach and teach and to baptize, he reminded the people that there was one coming behind him that he wasn't even worthy to, to tie his sandal. Because he focused his message on what was to come. Because he knew that it wasn't him. So even as he had the spotlight on him, he kept pushing it away. And saying, prepare the way for the one, prepare, prepare yourself for the one that's going to come. Prepare yourself for the Son of God who's coming. Prepare for yourself. Even as he baptized Jesus, where he said, I baptize, or even when he baptized the crowd, you know, he said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Friends, what today's scripture shows us is that John knew what God was doing, just as we can know what God is doing. Because even as John was, was receiving the full focus of the people, even as John was receiving the, the, the crowds, even as John had people gathering wherever he was going, wherever he was teaching, wherever he was preaching, he kept saying, get ready, it's not me. Because John accomplished God's plan that was put into place when the angel Gabriel visited his father in the temple. And so the challenge for us is even as we do things, we have to keep the spotlight on Jesus too. I think it'd be really, it would have been really easy for John to, um, you know, to enjoy the accolades that he was receiving, to enjoy the, the growing crowds, to enjoy what was happening. 
But if you read the Scripture, and if we know the Scripture, we know that the Scripture is true and that it says to us that, that John kept telling people, it's not me, look ahead. It's not me, look for the one that's coming. It's not me, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And that's the challenge for us. Is we have to keep the spotlight on Jesus. It's not always about us. It's not always about our preferences. But it's about Him. It's about Him and the way that He came into this world as He came as the light to live, to die, to offer us redemption, to offer us grace, and to offer us forgiveness. And we have to keep the spotlight on Him. Even as the world tells us that there's so many other things we need to focus on, that there are so many other things happening in our lives, even as there are so many other things demanding for our, of our time, we have to keep our focus on Jesus. We have to keep the spotlight on Him, even as, as temptation and everything else tries to have us put the spotlight on us. John faced that temptation. He surely experienced it. But he was also true to his call. And he was true to what he knew God was doing in his life in preparing the way for the one that was to come. And we can be grateful that that one did come. And that he's offered us life and that he's offered us hope. And that he allows us to keep our eyes and our focus on him. Amen.